The million dollar question, how do entrepreneurs transition from self-employed to owning a business that turns a profit? My name is Chris Waters, and this podcast has the million dollar answer. Welcome to CEO Secrets. Hey guys, it's Chris Waters of CEO Secrets. I am extremely excited about our guest today. This guy cracked the top 100 of the Inc. 500 fastest growing privately held companies in the United States. Check this out. His growth rate over the past three years has been 3,916%. Brendan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Chris. It's great to be here. Brendan, I don't want to butcher your last name. How do you, is it Mark K? Mark- Markwart. Brendan Markwart. Markwart. Okay, Brendan yeah, Markwart. No problem. <laughs> um, so Brendan and I were just talking before we um, went live that uh, we both live in Austin. And Brendan, you started a, well, you left the uh, finance world from working with companies like Merrill Lynch, UBS, Kinder Morgan, and um, the Rice University Endowment to starting your own business uh, in which you guys acquire direct-to-consumer furniture brands and uh, uh, help scale them up, right? That's right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, living here in Austin is sort of a, it's a culmination of part of this journey, part of that dream that I had when we got started. We moved here just about six months ago with, you know, as a family, because I was finally able to quit those day jobs and work on my baby full time which is, you know, which we'll talk about, but uh, it's been, yeah, it's been a great journey. Where were you, where did you live before Austin? I lived in Houston, Texas, which is about three hours away from here before that for, for a long time. What caused you to want to move to Austin? Oh gosh. It's just, it's amazing how a city that's three hours down the road can be completely culturally different. Uh, And as an entrepreneur, uh, the tech scene here, just the energy that comes from that is completely different than Houston. Houston's more of a, just a, you know, it's a white collar, kind of a climb the corporate ladder city, but it's, it gets, it's just, you really need to have people to talk to when you're an entrepreneur who understand what you're going through. And uh, Austin felt like the right spot for that. Plus the outdoors here, the music scene. I mean, there's so much, that's the reason gazillions of people are moving here right along with me, but, uh, but it's been, it's been great. And just feeling that energy being close to the right energy, I think is a super important part of being happy in life. And, um, so far it's, so far it seems to be working. (laughs) Yeah. You and you and, uh, thousands of other people. At least I'm not from California. At least I'm still from Texas. I don't have to apologize for, (laughs) for that. I was, um, I was sitting at a Starbucks in this neighborhood, a neighborhood Starbucks, um, near my house and, um, sitting outside and Tim Ferriss walked by and I'm like, man, this city has changed a lot. (laughs) Gosh. Um, yeah, that's, that's crazy. If I ever saw him walking by, I would leap all over the patio barricades at the Starbucks to go thank him for, I mean, his book, the four hour work week really changed my mentality. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, was kind of what set me up to be looking for the opportunities that I finally found and have transformed my life to be completely honest. Yeah. That, you know, I think that book was probably a, a game changer for a lot of people. I felt the same way. The, um, you know, when you talked about like virtual assistants, you know, overseas and, yeah, you know, getting leverage and stuff like in 2009, 2008, that was, you know, a pretty game changer idea for, you know, an entrepreneurial type person. So for, for I, me, I, the, I, idea, the idea that you could build a pretty good size company with only yourself and outsource 
yeah, to an assistant, but also to maybe manufacturers and maybe marketing agencies and keep things, you know, very manageable for yourself was, I just didn't realize that was possible, but it, it is. And it's a great yeah. way to live. Well, something I didn't mention is when Tim walked by, I like yelled his name <laughs> and he had his headphones on. I could tell he was on a call and he, I yelled his name and he like turned around and um, he's like, he started pointing at his ear, you know, like he couldn't talk. And so I was like, yeah, anyways, but um, yeah, that's it's cool. Uh, somebody else that um, recently moved to Austin, that's, you know, I think one of the most successful venture capital, you know, uh, entre- you know, venture capitalists and entrepreneurs is uh, Peter Thiel. I didn't uh, realize Peter he had Thiel. moved here too. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, I, if I'm not mistaken, he moved his fund here from San Francisco yeah, I'm not sure if he's if he's here if he lives here full time yet or not. But um, anyways, he's I don't know if you've read his book Zero to One. Sure, but uh, oh yeah, amazing book. Yeah. Well, let's talk about you, man. I mean, three thousand nine hundred and sixteen percent growth. That is off the freaking charts. Like, where did the I mean, furniture? Like, where did the idea come from to you know acquire a yeah acquire furniture brands? To be honest. Chris, the idea for acquiring furniture brands came after acquiring the first furniture brand. Uh, at Homestead Brands, we sell furniture on the internet. That's that's a short story of what we do. The longer story is we, we sell furniture that allows people to get more out of their space, more from their home, and spend more time with their family and friends. That's what we're hoping to provide for people. But it started out back in 2014 when my brother Kyle and I came across a really cool design for a Murphy bed with, you know, a bed that folds up against the wall when you don't need it. Murphy beds is the the primary product we sell, but back in 2014, we'd never even really heard of it, but we came across this lady who had invented a really cool design for a Murphy bed that was affordable and easy to put together. And we were able to acquire that from her and work on it in our nights and weekends. And with that mentality, like we talked about from the four hour work week that you could outsource almost everything, it allowed us to build a very scalable business while still having full-time jobs. My brother and I kept our full-time jobs, worked on this in our nights and weekends to man, it's improve the website, improve the product a little bit, do, do some marketing, all those kinds of things. And eventually we realized, man, we've kind of learned a lot about furniture along the way, which is a very hard market to learn anything about. But uh, so we came up with this idea that maybe, man, maybe what we've learned, we could apply to another piece of furniture, another similar kind of a story. And so early last year, we acquired a second small company that sells a porch swing, has a really cool design for a porch swing that is it's kind of modular. You can move the seat backs around in a way that I had never seen before and allows you to have like kind of a more functional, flexible seating arrangement than you might normally have on a porch swing. And so that's when the the idea that we needed like a a parent company or like an overall place where all of us can work on Lori wall beds and now organic swings is the name of our porch swings company. And so we are, we are in the, in the middle of proving that we have the ability to do it more than one time, take a small, really cool product, maybe invented by someone who knows what they're doing, but is having a hard time selling it, marketing it and apply the skills that we've learned about scaling production and marketing, good customer service to try to grow that. What's been the secret sauce to selling the product? Like what are you doing from a marketing perspective to drive sales? 
Yeah, well, there's a lot of things we did wrong. Because uh, <laughs> I'll tell you, you just put a product up on the internet that is not enough to sell it. It's crazy. Six years ago, I thought that's kind of all you had to do is just put it up there and people would buy it. No, you got to do a lot of work to convince people. And so we we started investing very heavily in what I think is the first the first thing you should focus on if you're having trouble making sales is what they call conversion rate optimization. The process of taking a stranger who comes to your site and turning them into a customer is a very difficult thing to do. But your site needs to have that in mind at all at all times. Everything you're saying on your site, the process, the uh, order in which you take people through things should be designed with the goal of answering their questions, overcoming their objections, giving them confidence, tr- building trust in you. And only then, once you have a site that converts visitors into customers well, then can you start dumping money into sending traffic, paying for people paying for traffic to come to that site. So I think key thing we did was spend a long time on conversion at the beginning. So uh, who did you learn from to to build up a knowledge base specific to conversion rate optimization? Like, did you hire a partner, a vendor? Did you hire a VA? Where did you hire them from? Like, you know, enlighten me on that journey. Gosh, so one of the key things about being a CEO is you need to learn enough about any particular area so that you know at least how to pick someone else to do it for you and try to judge whether they have what it takes to do it right. And this is an area where I only learned enough to pick the right person, but I could never have done all the things that they did. Um, Not to say never, but having someone who already knows what they're doing when you start with them was a great thing. And so we went to Upwork at the time. This was probably four years ago. And just basically, I was like, I was desperate. I had products up on the internet that no one was buying. And I just wrote that in my posting. I said, help me sell these products. Help me figure out what's going, what's wrong with my site. And we were very fortunate to come across an individual guy who was running a one-man agency, young guy who had worked in e-commerce for a big company before and learned he basically a little bit of everything. He was He's kind of been our Swiss army knife conversion rate guy for years and he took us through the sequence about how you fix conversion issues. Sometimes there's huge things that are obvious and then, but it's a methodical process of changing something, testing it and making sure the outcome is, you know, positive and then accumulating the next one and running the next experiment, making the next change. There are some great books out there. One's called making websites win by uh, the guys who basically invented conversion rate optimization. But that book is, it'll teach you, the essentials. That's really the thing I read to help me judge uh, how to pick the right partner. And it, it really, it really did pay off. What's the job title of that person that you hired? You know, like how would you? Yeah. You know, oftentimes else- they're called, uh, yeah, you, they might be called a growth hacker is a common term for it. Someone who can push buttons, pull levers on your site to encourage growth. Um, but conversion rate optimization or CRO is the abbreviation for it. That's really the keyword to look for someone who really is not, they're not focused on driving traffic or SEO. They're focused on if you have holes in your bucket, if you have, if your site is a bucket and people are leaking out all along the process because they don't trust you or they don't understand your product or one of the thousands of reasons, they are there to methodically plug the holes in the bucket so that you get more people from visit to sale. Did your um, upwork.com freelancer 
come from the U.S. or from outside the United States? Yeah, he is U.S.-based. And honestly, though, that is maybe a coincidence. He was just the best person who applied. I would have happily accepted anyone who seemed to have the right chops for it. What do you think is a good rate to pay that person to make sure you get somebody really good and qualified? You know, Chris, this is an area where I would say, well, I mean, like almost everything, you get what you pay for. And I paid, we paid, Kyle and I, who who co- managed this company together, we paid Gary, is the name of this guy who's been working for us, we paid him more for the first several years than we were taking home in compensation. We paid him very handsomely, not six figures, but maybe pretty close to six figures. And there may have been bonus years when he, when he got over the six figure mark. Was he working full time um, for you or part time? He was, he has grown alongside us. He had many clients at the start and he was kind of working part time. So we paid him, you know, commensurate with that. But then over time he has grown to be uh, really, well, we're really his only client at this point. And so it's closer to a full-time role that he has with us now. If somebody's, and, uh, listening, if somebody's listening to this episode right now and they want to make sure they don't screw this up and they get a good person and they pay them what they're worth, what's a good hourly rate to advertise? Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, something like at least 50 bucks an hour. I think at least. All the changes he made three years ago are still on my site. They're still making me money every day. It's a compounding, it's like compounding interest. And so this is one of the areas where I think I would like to spend as much as I like, find the best person I can and spend as much as I can. What are you guys using on the software set? Like are you using Shopify? Like what are you using for, you know, all that good stuff? Yeah, our site is built on Shopify. Uh, Shopify, man, there's lots of apps, of course, to plug in there to manage our reviews. We use apps whenever we can for almost everything. I know as on conversion rate stuff, there's something called Hotjar, which allows you to sort of like record what a customer does when they come to your site. Mm -hmm. And we look at the places where customers appear to get confused or where they leave. Like you can see what page they were on when they leave abandon your site. Certainly, of course, the, all the typical Google Analytics types of things as well. How did you how did you structure your first acquisition? I mean, you bootstrapped the business, right? So, like, how much money did y'all start with? And then my subsequent question is, how did y'all fund the first acquisition? Like, what was the you know what were the terms of the deal? Yeah. So at this point, six years ago, I was just a dude working at a job. I had some savings. I had a bonus, maybe one of those years. And the lady who had invented this bed was just a lady. She wanted to be an artist. She was really an artist, but she had sort of stumbled upon this business that was more work than she ended up wanting to spend on work, more time than she wanted to spend. And so it was a simple, hey, I like your business a lot. I like your product. I've got some money, you know, five figures, low five figures of money. And she says that would be life-changing money for me. And we did an asset sale and I just bought... I just bought it from her. Honestly, I probably wrote her a check. It was the most simple sort of handshake, unsophisticated two people coming to terms over the phone kind of a deal. Um, I'm sure our lawyers today would look at it and say there's like a bunch of bunch of things we missed. But at the time for that amount of money and with the trust that you can establish, I think sometimes just by being real honest and straightforward at the beginning, it turned out to be successful. How did you go about producing this bed? I mean, you had 
I'm sure she gave you the measurements and the design and everything, but then you had to go produce it, right? Yes. At the time, she was building one at a time in her garage. When the order would come in, she'd go buy the wood, build it, and no wonder she was exhausted. We tried that. <laughs> I was an amateur woodworker, so that's sort of how I came across this opportunity. And I tried that. I built two of these things over a weekend. I was like, that was my whole weekend. I already work all week. Now I'm not gonna, I can't spend every weekend on this. So we, we, uh, we first focused on this sort of secondary product that she had been selling, which was a do-it-yourself plan instruction booklet for carpenters to purchase this, this list of wood items, cut it to these dimensions, and then assemble it in this way. So we completely jettisoned physical beds altogether for the first several years and just focused on getting that do-it-yourself product together. But we quickly realized like there's not that many carpenters out there. This is never going to be a big deal unless we get back in physical beds. And with that mentality, maybe the four-hour workweek mentality of knowing that there are producers out there who who you can send your plans to and they will provide you a finished product uh, packed in a box, ready to ship. That was our mission. And we called, I mean, we called anyone we could find for months, six months, nine months before we found a partner who would take us seriously, who would give us a call back. But that's, that's all it took to get started. Hey, 25 beds packed in cardboard, like Ikea furniture, uh, put them on a truck to this 3PL partner that we found and let's give this a try. How fast did you sell those first 25 beds? Really slow really, really slow. That's where we put, that's the product. I mean, we put it up on the site and we're like, people, they had been clamoring for this. They see this do-it-yourself product, but they say, oh, I'm not a carpenter. Guys, can you just cut the wood for me? Like, is there any way you could send me this in a box? I'm like, sure we can. So we did all this work. We got it ready, put it up on the site, crickets. And that's when I'm like, I just suck a bunch of money into this inventory. Like I need to move this stuff. So that's when we, we, I was flailing about reached out on Upwork to find a conversion rate uh, a conversion rate guy. And that, that started us on the path to figuring out because the difference between selling a $100 do-it-yourself kit and a $1,000 ready-to-assemble furniture product, it's completely different marketing. It's completely different messaging. And it takes a skill we didn't have at the time. I'm taking notes as you're, as you're talking. Um, two things that, that come to mind is one, traffic sources. What do you guys, where are you driving traffic from? Do you sell this bed on other third-party websites? Are you driving traffic through Google AdWords if somebody types in Murphy beds? Yeah, at this time, we're only selling on our own site. And our best traffic comes from organic search results on Google. Or some, we have some affiliate partnerships, folks that have written maybe top 10 Murphy bed articles, or they... They write about the tiny house movement or things that where people are already people who are already interested in this kind of thing might be found. We have not had good success with Facebook even before iOS 14 changes because our product is not an impulse purchase. It's a it's a pretty long decision time product. Like it's a project for one thing that you're taking on and often involves remodeling or in some way redecorating the room that you're putting it in. So we want to be found easily by anyone who already knows they want a Murphy bed. We, we don't spend a lot of money trying to convince you that you should want a Murphy bed, but if you already know it, we hope to be very easy to find. And so big investments in search engine optimization, uh, lots of blogging on our site to make sure we appear in that organic search ranking on Google as, as high as we can. 
Are you on ClickBank? ClickBank to try and find that, affiliate? No, I don't believe so. No, I don't believe so. The the tricky thing about affiliates for a product of this size, and it's kind of complex to even assemble it, is affiliates are kind of like customers. Like if they don't really, if they don't want to already tackle this big of a project and they're not already thinking about re- renovating a room. We, we spent a lot of time and effort trying to convince influencers and affiliates to create con- like to take a free bed and create content for us. But it's, it's just such a big project that we've instead tried to focus on people who already seem to be really interested. So people who already have sites, again, about tiny house furniture or about Murphy beds or beds in general, any, anything like that, those are the easiest ones to get interested for us so far you mentioned the word influencers are you are you guys using a team of influencers to push the product on social media we're not currently we we tried to drum it up by finding maybe home bloggers or home influencer type of people but again it's uh it was such a big commitment to get our bed in their hands that we we sort of abandoned that project and we're reconsidering how we might do it better in the future but that was one area where we we didn't find the success we were hoping to find got it so people are doing searches on google for murphy beds i have to assume murphy beds have a lot of competition like how do you compete with these you know chinese manufacturers right that sell stuff for pennies on the dollar i mean i don't know i'm not in the market for murphy bed i'm just curious like that's that was another thing that crossed my mind is like just dealing with you know competitors, you know, manufacturing Murphy beds for a lot less. It's true. Yeah, it's true. And if you're going to compete against that, we have tried to carve, we've tried to carve out a spot for ourselves in the high value segment, meaning not the cheapest. Uh, We call ourselves maybe the most affordable or the best value. And you have to communicate what's different about your product than say a cheap Chinese competitor or on the other end, a huge custom expensive, you know, built-in unit, which is another way that the market goes. So it helps to have a really strong brand on your own site. Um, if we had been trying to do this on Amazon, I think we would have really struggled because the competition is tough. But on our own site, we have all the space. If we can get people there, we have all the space we need to tell that story. And you can communicate a lot of value through of course, good photos and good copy, but we have over 2000 amazing reviews from past customers. That's incredibly helpful. And of course, the photos that they include is great, but it's, it's been a lesson that we've had to learn is how, how do you communicate value and convince someone to part with what could be close to $2,000 for a high quality American made piece of furniture when there are particle board options available on Wayfair for for quite a bit less it's uh but honestly we don't have to have the customers who are looking for the absolute cheapest option there's a lot of value in finding customers who appreciate quality and sort of where quality and affordability meet in the middle just to confirm your top line revenues in the eight figures right yep we broke into the eight figures in uh, 2021 man you are such a humble guy and 10 million in revenue is no joke for an e-commerce business. I'm like trying to get the, I'm trying to get the essence of like what's crushing it for you guys, because it's, you know, it seems as you articulate it, very simplistic in terms of, you know, focusing on organic search and a good product and 
the CRO stuff, like the customer journey on the on the platform. Um, I do pinch. I pinch. I, like got a- I, I, I don't really know quite exactly what happened either, other than just years and years of doing the right things, putting the right pieces together in the business, making it scalable. I, I will say like the pandemic, which was very hard for a lot of companies and has made e-commerce challenging this year in 2020 was really, really helpful. And 2021, to be honest, also people working from home, schooling their kids at home, they got to find space to do workout at home like they've never had to before and getting the guest bed up off the floor and reclaiming that room has been the way that a lot of people have chosen to do it so we were well positioned with a i say the right place at the right time we had built a very scalable supply chain and set of systems for the for the day when we got lucky with the right market environment and i think we we did hit that pandemic wave really well. But then we reinvested those profits into more SEO and more search and things like that so that we have built now a durable, I think, really competitive brand in the Murphy bed space. And honestly, it's gotten challenging again. The supply chain is is killing me and uh, it's killing my my director of product who uh, every day is trying to find ways to get the wood we need and keep the beds in stock. But uh, but we're just going to keep doing the right things for the business keep putting the right pieces in place so that when the macro trends turn around again in, in everyone's favor, we'll be hopefully in the strongest position we can be in. Can you tell me about a, like an inflection point where you just saw like, you know, in a 30 day window sales skyrocket, some crazy percentage. And can you think back to like, what were the, you know, what were those incremental pieces to cause that huge surge in, in sales? I, man, I wish, I wish it had just exploded like that overnight. It's like, it's one of these things where they, they say it's a, we're an overnight success that was like eight years in the making. So it's a lot of just slogging and being ready, being ready to support. See a lot of companies, if they'd had, if they had their sales double month over month, they would get crushed because they, they don't have a scalable infrastructure to support it. You know what, really when we finally turned on Google ads after working on CRO for at least a year and paying for no traffic. When we started paying for traffic and seeing that mountain of people converting well on our site that we had been working so hard to do, that is what really launched us. If your site converts well, then you can just dump as much traffic in as your supply chain can handle. And that's that was really the, the closest thing to a hockey stick moment where everything just started going up for us. So summarize what you're saying is when you figure out the formula from a conversion rate optimization perspective, and you can get the acquisition cost of the customer less than, you know, a certain percentage of revenue, then you can spend an unlimited amount of money on advertising to drive sales. And then obviously you need to make sure it's contingent on supply chain. So it makes, yeah, but you could think of it like, like a money printing machine. If you put in a dollar in advertising, you can come up with a formula that says, on average, I will make three, five, ten dollars in revenue because I I know my site converts that well. Um, Did you um, that- spend any time studying Russell Brunson in any of his books around funnel hacking? And I don't think so. I haven't. Although I will say, 
my who knows if my conversion rate guy he reads everything he can get his hands on okay cool you acquired a second company recently how'd that come about how'd you fund that deal now you got money now things are easier now you know the formula how'd you acquire the second one how'd you fund it how'd you structure the deal like what percentage is that the second one was almost i mean identical in so many ways to the first one this one we found on the Shopify exchange marketplace where someone with a Shopify store, I think you just click a button and post your site for sale on Shopify's exchange. This one, this port swing, again, a lot like the Murphy bed had been designed by someone who kind of knew what they were doing, who had a passion for, in this case, engineering and metalwork and things like that. And he had had some success selling the swing. In fact, I mean, you know, really had grown his company from tiny to still small. And, but he just, man, he had something else he wanted to work on more. And he was a little bit exhausted by the the slog. It's a slog. And uh, he didn't have good production in place. He, ha- he was making them one at a time. Again, a very similar story, which is where we saw that we, we actually, the things that were bad about the business or the things that would bother most people about acquiring this business were like no big deal to us. And that's what you hope for when you acquire a business is that the hair on the deal, the things that other people might run away from are the things that you say, oh, that's, I mean, it's good, you know, it's work, but we know how to, we know how to do that. And so uh, we had probably better paperwork this time around, better legal protections, but it was similarly just a cash payment, buy all the assets from the guy, I get a little support from him for a couple months and run with it. And it turned out to be way harder than we thought. How, Supply chain <clears throat> fell apart like we didn't expect, but uh, but we're, we're, we're making it. How, um, how long ago did you guys uh, acquire that product? That was March of 2021. So at this point, close to a year ago. And so you basically, I assume, copy and paste the formula with Google AdWords, SEO, you know, drill in your to be honest, our, our websites, our new website for the porch wing brand is almost a carbon copy of the formula we worked out on Lori wall beds over the course of five years with different colors and things like that. But, uh, but yeah, we've, we've learned a lot and I, at least we're going to, we're going to start from that point and then see what we need to do after that. Hmm. And um, what percent, like for, for 2022, what percentage of your revenue is going to be the uh, swing versus the um, the Murphy bed? Yeah, probably 90% Murphy beds at least. And to be honest, I, that's I'm so excited about the porch swings because I don't know what's going to happen. We we're finally about to have inventory uh, after having kind of been sort of out of stock for most of last year, and it's this the most exciting part about like. We're not exactly starting a new business, but we're kind of starting over with a business that already had some traction. So I'm super excited to see what's going to happen. I don't know. But that's, man, one of the few exciting things about, not few, but like one of the most exciting things about being a business owner is the times when you get to just say like, I have no idea what's going to happen. Let's just see. Let's just see. Love it, man. Dude, man, I, I love how humble you are and how um, transparent and, and uh, open you are. It's uh, very, well, really, thank you for saying that. You know, it wasn't long ago that I worked at a, a day job, a corporate job. I did that for years. And I just, I try to remember how those jobs sucked in various ways. In various ways, they were great, but in a lot of ways, it, they, they sucked. And I really, I'm having a great time working for myself and not, you know, my employees, they don't work for themselves. They work for us, but I think we can still have the kind of place to work where you, it does, doesn't have to suck. That's what I, that's my philosophy. Like it doesn't work. Doesn't have to suck. 
And the success we've had is because of these great, the great people on our team and some, some preparation and some good fortune. And I'm just having such a great time at work. I'd like to keep it going that way. And that's uh, what I try to keep in mind as I think about how to treat our team and give them the opportunities to grow as much as, as much as we can. If you, not if, but when you nail, when you nail this second product from a, you know, conversion rate optimization perspective and production, et cetera, any plans on going and raising like a series A round and taking down a lot of products and really scaling this? That is a great question. You know, uh, a year ago I said, nah, nope, I don't want anyone's money. I don't want anyone to be in charge of me. But it is undeniably a good time to be an e-commerce business owner. There's a lot of money floating around in the market to support people like us in our endeavors. And still, I think my answer would be, eh, I don't know. I mean, maybe we let's talk. Like, well, let's let's talk about it. But there is something really nice about not having a boss in in any way, shape, or form, and us having the agility as a team to take our time if we need to get things right, think for the long term about what's best for our families and for the families of our employees. But um, but it it is exciting to think that after this Port Swings company, if if we can prove that it, we can we can do this, then we will have sort of a track record of of taking an idea and, and improving it now twice in a row. So it uh, it could be it could be an exciting way to really build a bigger platform to do these kind of things on than we could afford on our own. Man, awesome, dude! Where can people learn more about you? Yeah, so I um man, I spend most of my time on my company. I don't put stuff out on Twitter or anything, but www.homestead-brands.com is our company site, and you can find out more about uh, the the beds, the swings, our values on that site. Cool. What do you do when you're not working? Who man, chase my kids around. How old are your kids? I have a five-year-old son and a seven-year-old daughter. They, uh, man, they're, they got more friends than me in Austin already since we moved <laughs> here. So I just, I just, uh, take them around to jujitsu and ballet class and things like that. But, but Austin has such great outdoor activities that I'm, I'm hiking, I'm paddleboarding, trying to meet other entrepreneurs in the area. Uh, just all those things that really enrich family life and personal development, make a mess in the kitchen now and then cool. that kind of stuff. My daughter's in ballet. What, um, and we're both in Austin. What ballet school does she go to? Uh, it's called balance dance studio, South Austin. Okay. My daughter is one of these where she hasn't been in it long, but uh, she's like, she just wants to dance all the time. She's just dancing, showing me her new dance moves, turn on a song daddy so I can dance. Uh, we should have started her maybe long ago, but uh, uh, she loves, it. she loves it. It's so adorable. Are you guys listening in? Be sure to check out, check out Brendan's company, homestead-brands.com. And um, the, the swing is really cool looking. It's very, very uh, contemporary looking. The beds are really cool looking. I was checking it out uh, beforehand. And they it does look like a very high quality type product, unlike the particle board stuff you find on Wayfair. So um, congrats on all your success, man. I'm, I would, you know, you just seem like somebody people want to be around. And, um, I'm now that I've got to know you, I'm, I'm, I see why you've achieved almost 4,000% growth in the past three years, but, um, you know, it's, it's just, man, it's very refreshing to, to hear your story and, uh, appreciate all your, 
humility and transparency. Um, for you guys listening in on the show, be sure to hit that subscribe button and um, we'll see you next time. Thank you, Brendan. Thanks, Chris. Take care. Want more CEO secrets? If so, you can get a free copy of my book, The Million Dollar Real Estate Team at www.themilliondollarrealestateteam.com for free. Inside this book, you'll find my top secrets that we've used to net $1 million in just three years.